0: Tonight is just another example of your goodness, Father. So I thank you for my sisters and brothers, their willingness to come out, and and I pray that we be encouraged and we will also encourage one another. So we thank you for this. We thank you for how you bless us throughout this day and uh, how you just continue to just show us your mercies, Father, every day. So uh, thank you for this time that you set aside just for us, and we pray, Father, that we will be worthy of what you've called us to. So we pray uh, that your word will be rightly divided and that uh, every sister and brother that entered this place and for those uh, who are viewing us remotely, Father, that you would just continue to show them your goodness, show them your mercy. We know you will. There's no doubt. You love us so much, Father, more than we'll ever deserve. And you just continue to show us your love in so many ways, even when we don't recognize it. So thank you again for just allowing us this opportunity to come together to fellowship. And may you be glorified in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight, folks, we're going to dig into uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses, I'm going to say 1 to 13, but that's not a guarantee because it's 26 verses and uh, there's so much meat there. Uh, so I, I don't want to get ahead of the Lord, you know, whatever he has for us, that's what, that's all I want us to receive. So again, let's see what he has for us. I'm going to read one to 13, and then we're going to come back and dissect it. Verse one, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chain. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Thank you, Lord. Uh, here, uh, Paul is calling for Timothy to overcome his, his drift toward weakness and renew his commitment to his ministry. And it doesn't mean that Timothy ha- has given up. What's happening right now is Timothy is becoming fearful from a, 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 a physical standpoint. He's, he's aware of what Paul went through. He's aware of what's upcoming for Paul. And, and he's developed, uh, not spiritually, but... Uh, through, he's developed this, this, Paul refers to it as weakness. And he wants, Paul wants to renew his commitment to his ministry because when he first came about, uh, came on the scene, he was very fervent in everything. And now as he's learning, and and I equate that to us, what we're going through. You know, some of us, when we were first saved, we were on fire. Some still are, Uh, not all of us, uh, and it ju- doesn't mean that we've, uh, we feel any less, our heart is any less towards the ministry of the gospel. It just means that the world has had an influence on us. And, and the, the word tells us, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the power of their mind. And that's where we want to be. And Paul sees Timothy, and Paul used the word drift, he sees Timothy drifting away from that, so he, he needs to, he wants to encourage him even more. And so, uh, Timothy uh, has heard the divine truth from which, uh, truth which God has revealed through Paul. And uh, Silas, Barnabas, Luke, and many others in the churches could attest to the divine authenticity of Paul's divine teaching. Timothy needed a reminder because he was affected by the many defections of Ephesus. And we'll talk about that a little later on a few more verses, the defections of Ephesus. We've already talked about it in Timothy, but just as a reminder, Timothy was to take what he had learned from Paul and teach it to the other faithful men. These men, with spiritual character and spiritual gifts, were to pass those truths to another generation. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, this process of spiritual reproduction began in the early church, uh, as in Acts, and is to continue until the Lord returns. That doesn't stop. Go and multiply. And that's what he calls us to do. Go and multiply. So our mission is to teach the word of God. And as a result, the the ones that we teach, teach the word of God. Teach the word of God. And, And as I said, until he comes back, there's no time when, okay, we've done enough. My mission is complete. Your mission is, our mission is never complete. Your mission is never complete. You're supposed to teach that word until the Lord calls you home. When he calls you home, that's when you know that your work is done. But for now, that is our mission. That should be our desire. That is our heart. Teach that gospel. Be ready in season and out of season. And too often we're influenced by those around us. We're influenced by the world. Say, yeah, well, you know, it's so hard because I can teach it At church but I can't teach it at my job and that's not true if we do that we're limiting ourselves to how do you teach how do you reach people and it doesn't mean that you've got to stand on the on the table in the cafeteria and and proclaim Jesus Christ it just means that you engage others in conversation encouraging conversation talk about the word how do you teach how do you how do I get away with teaching at work you can and it's not that you're breaking any laws. It's just that we have to be, well, the word, the word doesn't say, but we say blessed are the flexible. And that means how do I reach the people in my school? How do I reach the people at my work site? How do I reach my neighbors, my family? And there are different ways of approaching that. So Paul's trying to instill in Timothy that this is how you do it. You don't quit. You be, you're prayerful in how you approach. You're prayerful in when you approach. You're prayerful in what you share with others it, so you don't be a discouragement. Verse 4 talks about, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldier refers to uh, the Christian life as warfare against the evil world system. Uh, the believer's flesh and nature and the enemy of our soul. Paul is dealing with the conflict against the hostile world and the persecution. Paul dealt with this, and we're no different. Even today, uh, it depends on how we define persecution. We went through a season where the churches were closed, but the bars were not. That shouldn't be, from our perspective. But again, the world is not our friend. This is not our home. You're passing through. So once in a while... We don't carry signs. We don't go thumping heads, but we have to make our voices known. We have to stand for what we believe. If you're going to preach the gospel, then you've got to also stand for it. You've got to go out and do things that you may not be comfortable with. And being a Christian is always not about being comfortable. Actually, far from it in most cases. It's just a matter of, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you call me to do? And, and be, be sincere. Be open in that. And uh, the the uh, in James uh, James four four, it talks about uh, it says adulterers and adulterers do not know. Do you not know that friendship with the world is intim- enmity enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot serve two masters. That's what the Word of God says. You cannot. And cannot means it's not possible. You can't serve two masters. You're going to end up loving one and hating the other. So he's encouraging us to, to not create friendships with the world. He's encouraging us to know that those adulterers and adulteresses uh, will co- commit friendship, uh, friendship with the world if we'll let them. And you cannot be a friend of the world or you make yourself an enemy of God plain and simple. 2 Timothy 2, 5. And if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And competes in athletics expresses the effort and determination uh, needed to compete successfully in an athletic event. Um, there's some of us in this room, uh, two of us, who've been athletes over the years. And this represents a picture of spiritual effort and untiring pursuit of the spiritual victory. And there might be three, but I'm looking around and I'm thinking a lot of you guys were not athletes. No offense, but maybe back then you might have had it, but it's, it's gone. So this, uh, uh, this spiritual effort and untiring pursuit of the spiritual victory, we're, we're, we're thriving, we're pushing, we're, we're, we're going to the limit and... And again, when, in verse 6, when he talks about hard work, and in the Greek that means to labor to the point of exhaustion. And Paul is urging Timothy to labor intensely with a view to the spiritual harvest. Spiritual harvest, what's that about? And that means that that's the end game. The end game is eternal life. That's the spiritual harvest. That's what you're going to But it's, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost sacrifice. If, if you were an athlete, if you are an athlete, you know it requires untiring effort. And not just in the athletic field, but in this spiritual life. And, you know, think about, you know, your, your pastors, your deacon, your elders, and those who are out on the front line, what's involved in all of this. It's not easy. And, again, you heard me say it many times, I'll continue to say it. If you have a, a desire to be on the front line to make sure you're prayed up. Because you get to see and hear things that just break your heart. And if you're not prepared, if the Lord has not prepared you to be in that position, then I would say, you know, be be obedient to what the Lord is calling you. If he says you don't need to be here, then you can trust that. If he says you need to be here in spite of the obstacles, you can trust that. So we trust him. And it is it is laboring to the point of exhaustion. And that's what We have to consider when we're considering being in the ministry. Verse 7, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And in this case, consider in the Greek refers to a clear perception, full understanding, and careful consideration. It's not just a passing thought. I think I'll do this. What does the Lord say about that? And Paul was not just giving advice but encouraging Timothy to give deep thought to what he was writing and teaching. Deep thought. Not a, just a, a passing thought. It's deep. It's, it's, a lot goes into it. Uh, verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Jesus Christ was and is a supreme model of faithful teacher, soldier, athlete, and farmer. And Timothy was to follow his example in teaching, suffering, pursuing the prize, and planting the seeds of truth for spiritual harvest. Jesus is that model, the supreme model of all. As I said earlier tonight, there's only one high and lofty one. One. There is no other. So that's the example that we want to follow. That's the example that we want to see. The resurrection of Christ is a central truth of all Christian faith. Now, there are some, and we'll talk about these, these gentlemen later, that were in Ephesus, who were who did not consider resurrection as a part of the gospel that we believe in. How can that be? You know, Because if that were the case, uh, Jesus would be no different from those other religious leaders that we speak of. Those guys died and they're still dead. And Jesus was the only one that rose from the dead. The only one. And so as these men uh, were teaching this, Paul had to put him out of the church. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, For which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, verse 9, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. And here Paul contrasts his his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel to the sincere power of the word of God. When he says, uh, 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 when Paul says that, uh, the word of God is not chained, you know, as, and he's contrasting that to his imprisonment and saying that, yeah, they were able to chain me physically. But the word of God went beyond those chains. And that's what we have to. We have to say we're, we're condi- being conditioned. We are being uh, mandates are being made that we live a certain way. But that does not limit our spiritual growth. That does not eliminate our spiritual enthusiasm. That does not el- eliminate the sincerity that we need to show in our spiritual life. So we just keep on uh, asking, seeking. Um, this is a, the gospel must be proclaimed because the elect is not saved. Um, let me back up. There, verse 10, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect That they may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. The elect is those who haven't been chosen from salvation before the world began, who had not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. He knew their, their, their end. He knew what the end was for the, and they were the elected ones. And at this point, they had not yet received him as their Lord and Savior. And there are some among us who still have not received him as their Lord and Savior. They talk a good game. They say the right words. They know some scripture, and they quote that at every opportunity. And that is no indication that they have given their life to him. The, the gospel must be proclaimed because elect is not saved apart from faith in Christ, and eternal glory is the ultimate outcome of salvation. They had not, uh, they had not proclaimed Christ, so there are religious systems who believe that you can earn your salvation. There is nothing that you can do to grant you salvation. Nothing. There's no work. There's no chant. There's no anything that you can do. It has to be a work of Jesus Christ. If you believe that there are certain things you can do, well, well, I've been uh, circumcised, so I'm saved. I received salvation. Nonsense. Well, all I need to do is get baptized, and that grants me salvation. Absolutely not. There's nothing that you can do outwardly that grants you that salvation. It has to be a proclamation to the gospel, and a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's it, folks. So you may believe that you know I go to church three days a week, so I'm in good standing. Uh, Don't be surprised. You I know. You I know. But who are you? But Lord, don't you remember all the good stuff that I did? Don't you know that I'm a good person? No, I don't. Uh, Look at at all this wonderful work that I've done. But whose name was it in? Did you glorify God in that? Did you allow him to receive the glory of, of what you did? And it's usually about us. So many of us, is all about us. Everything revolves around us. And so we think that we can just do all these wonderful things, and we're in. You know, and I think about you know, the works, and I think about I did this, I did that, and even to that, I'm a good person. If it were even possible for me to be a good person, and I'm speaking personally, that would not guarantee me that. There are certain religious systems that base it on the fact that you're a good person. You do all these wonderful things, especially when it comes to your giving of your time, your money, um, your talents, that that grants you, that, that that in itself causes you to be a good person. You're deceiving yourselves, absolutely deceiving yourselves. So let's not get caught up in that because... There are religious systems and the world that will convince you that that's all you need. Well, you're fine. There's nothing to be concerned about because I know a Christian who, who you're, a, you're a better person than that person. So you're pretty much guaranteed your ticket will get punched. Don't buy it, folks. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You cannot work it out. You cannot earn it through your deeds. You cannot earn it through your givings. You cannot earn it by being a good person. Person. Some of you can be good. Some of us, it's a challenge. And I'm being totally honest with you guys. I'm not being flipping about it. But it's, you know, outwardly it looks like you know we're we're on the the narrow road, but in our hearts and our minds we're on the broad road because we want a lot of wiggle room. We want to hang with the saints and the sinners. We want to be a part of. We want to be that social chameleon. We want to be that 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 secret agent Christian. Can't be done. It cannot be done. Um, verse eleven. This is a faithful saying: For if we died with him, we should also live with him. And this refers to a, a believer's spiritual participation in Christ's death and resurrection including the possibility of suffering for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Yes, you will suffer. You will suffer. There are going to be people, family members perhaps, that are not going to accept you. Uh, Yeah, every time they come over, all they talk about is this Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So you know what? Let's not invite them anymore. You say, well, that's okay. I'm okay with that. But you want to be a part of your family. God has called you to fellowship. Fellowship. And you want to be a part. So when they reject you, that's not easy. It hurts. You know, and some of us have been subjected to that. Some of us, and we've just basically stopped associating with the family. But it, it, it nags at you. It, 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 it penetrates your heart that this, is, this isn't really right. Something's not right here. But there are those families who have cut others off. They've disassociated with themselves because of their trust and their belief and their boldness in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying it's okay. These are the walls that you want to mend. But with some of us, it's not easy. Not at all. It's you you want to just, just you want to shake them. But it's not about that. It has to be a work of Christ. It has to be a heart transplant. It has to be something that they have to decide for themselves. Choose this day who you will serve. And you tell them, as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They choose not to yet. Yet. But they will. At some point, they will come to that saving grace. But you do what you're asked to do. Uh, Okay, sister, brother, I want you to just water. But Lord, I want to sit there and watch it grow. That's not what you're called to do. That could be discouraging for you. Because now that you water it, you're expecting to see growth. If not immediately, soon. And you'll get discouraged. I've been ministering, ministering, ministering to him or her for for months. And they haven't received it, so I just give up. And what I think about is continue to pray. Continue to pray because... I think about us. If we were there when we knew that Christ was going to be crucified, our prayer life would have been, Lord, spare him. Don't let that happen to him. We pray that, you know, that you can take this cup away and that all will be well, that he would just continue to dwell among us. There's a downside to that. Don't let him die. Please, Lord. We pray that you don't let him die. He had to. And our prayer life is usually associated with us giving God an indication of what we would like to happen. Not then, today. Lord, heal my friend. Lord, heal, heal my, my, my coworker. Lord, heal my, my manager, whomever. And we have to be careful. Because typically what God is doing is not that central... It's not who we consider to be the central figure of that dilemma, of that situation. What about all the people in the peripheral that are being affected by that? That's part of God's plan as well. So when we say, oh, just take away that cancer, we need to say, Lord, if it's your will. And again, just like he didn't tell us to not pray for that, it's just that we need to be careful how we pray. And his will is going to be done regardless. There's no question about that. But think about when you're praying. Think about all the people that are affected. Why is he doing this? Why, is he, he, why does he have this person in this position at this time? Who's he working on? Is it just that person, singly? Or is it all those that are touched by this person? We need to think about that. Think about that in your prayer. So when, you, when that dad or that mom is sick, think about the kids that are being affected by it. Pray that his will will be done throughout that whole deal. That's what we need to pray. And that's what Paul is praying for Timothy because he knows that the influence of the world is strong. Paul knows that. And he knows what Timothy has seen. Timothy has seen men thrown out of the church for being false preachers, false teachers. And that's having an impact on how he feels even now. So uh, Paul and and the others that I mentioned earlier uh, have uh, been fervently praying that Timothy would, would just rely on the Holy Spirit to guide him. Endure refers to staying the course, keeping the faith, contending for the faith, as it says in Jude. Our perseverance gives evidence of the sincereness of our faith. Our persever- perseverance gives evidence of the sincereness of our faith. Sincere means without wax. So if there's cracks in our armor, we can't just put wax over it and paint over it and then think all is well. Because as soon as the heat is turned up, as soon as the light is turned on, that crack is going to be exposed. So we need to be sincere. And it, it doesn't say perfection, not here. It just means that we need to take a stand for what we believe in and be sincere in that perseverance. Reign with him refers to his future, which is eternal kingdom. That eternal kingdom, that's, that's our goal. That's our end game. And deny, uh, if we deny him, he will also he also will deny us. And deny in this context speaks of a final, permanent denial. It's not the temporary failure of a true believer. Uh, I I fail. I I fell down. I tripped. So that means I'm denying God. No, it's that final saying. I will not have this man rule over me. That's pretty final. But to make a mistake as a true believer. He doesn't consider that as denial. And unbelievers will ultimately deny Christ because their faith was not genuine or sincere. There were, there were a faith with flaws, and essentially there's no such thing as that. Faith is all in. Faith in God is all in. You can't believe him today but not tomorrow. You can't. That is not faith. So I trust you, but... If you trust him, but, that means the but just wiped out everything that you said prior to that. I trust you. And trust him with everything. It doesn't really matter. Peter was an example of this type of denial. It was temporary. It wasn't a permanent denial. When we deny, when we deny Christ, we give evidence that we never belong to him. And it's something that you guys have heard me talk about and. And I I still don't have a real good understanding of how someone can follow Christ or claim to follow Christ and then fall away, a turn away. And I certainly can't be a judge of their heart, but it makes me wonder, and it has for a long time now, how does someone follow Christ? And it seems diligently, with sincerity, and then they turn away. One day they decide, okay, okay. I don't want to follow him anymore. So you can taste and see that he is good, yet you turn away. And just by the grace of God, that can be any of us. You know, uh, we let things like tragedy deter us from following him. I, I don't believe in that anymore. Did you before? We need to be careful and do not allow the world or these type of, of unbelievers to influence us. They never belonged to him and faced the fearful reality of one day being denied by him. I never knew you. That's harsh. That's going to be tough to hear. How can you not know me? Don't you know that I did these great things as I spoke of earlier? Don't you know I did these great things? It was in your name. You were all about you. God is not going to honor that. Verse thirteen: If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Faithless refers to the lack of saving faith, not weak or struggling faith. Unbelievers will ultimately deny Christ because their faith was not genuine or sincere. As faithful as Jesus is to save those who believe in Him, He is equally faithful to judge those who do not. God is sovereign. He's going to judge. And he's going to reward accordingly. He's faithful. He cannot deny himself. I am what that I am. And to us, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. This, this person who does not uh, serve you as a Lord and Savior is prospering. That's not fair. I'm doing all the things that are good I'm honoring you in every way, yet I don't have the trinkets that this person has. It's really not about the trinkets, my friends. It's not about that. We don't know how that evildoer is living. They got all the stuff and the things that the world says means you're successful. But how are they suffering? Are they they sleeping at night? Do they feel comfortable when they go outside their home? How many people are willing to take away what they have just because? Trust in him, in him alone. And he'll grant you all the things that you need to be able to get through this. He will. I have proof. His actions are faithful uh, and always consistent with his holy, unchangeable nature. He can't change He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same, he can't change, he can't deny himself, he can't, can't, that's a word I don't like to use because it means impossible, but I'm using it. He can't change. He's good, he's loving, the love that he has for us is agape love, unconditional, I don't have to receive anything to give something, His mercies are new every morning. You wake up and he's already sprinkled new mercies on your pillow even before you awake. That's a wonderful thing. His mercies are new every morning without change. We can can depend on that. We're going uh, further than I thought we would, but that's okay. Verse 14 Remind them of these things, changing them before the Lord, not to strive without wounds, without words, but to no profit to the ruin of the hearer. We must not argue with false teachers or deceivers who use human effort or human reason to subvert God's word. This is not only foolish, as it says in Proverbs 14:7, and futile, as it says in Matthew 7, but dangerous. As it says in verses 16 and 17. In this chapter, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through s- verses 16 and 17, it talks about the danger of listening to these people, these false teachers or deceivers. And they come in with human logic, human reason to subvert God's word. Again, it's foolish, and it says that in Proverbs 14 7. It's futile. It says that in Matthew 7, 6, and it's dangerous, as it said in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, in this chapter, this is the first of three warnings to avoid useless arguments. That's what he's referring to, useless. You can stand there and you can debate God's word for an hour and a half. At the end of that hour and a half, what changed? They didn't sway you, or you didn't sway them. So what was that all about? And uh, again, what he's cautioning us against about arguing or debating God's word. God's word is, is right there. We're both looking at the same thing, and so what it may come down to is how you interpret it. And we shouldn't. Let scripture interpret scripture. Well, I can pull out a scripture that support anything that I want to do regardless. Anything. And, and I have, in some cases. Where it says that uh, the man is ahead head of the house, so you better get in line. Uh, nonsense. So many others. There's so many directions that we can go in, and we can, we, can, we can manipulate that scripture to say pretty much anything that we want. to to support anything that we want to do or not want to do. Well, if God didn't want me to go here, he would have stopped me. No, that's not the God we know. He's a God of free will. He's a God that says, okay, if you want to go down that dead end street, have at it. He will do that because he loves you. He will stop you because he's sovereign. He will let you go because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. He created you to choose the road that you want to go down, the path that you want to go down, and he's going to allow you to do that. And there are times when we say, why, you know, we would be better off if he took away free will. No, you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Because now there's nothing to cause us to there's nothing to hinder our desire to just be fleshly. So if he did that, or he can just say, okay, I'm going to control you. I'm going to make you love me. Is it possible to make someone love you? Real real love. Is it possible? And he knows that. And sometimes we want to push it. We want to make things happen. And that's where we get in a whole lot of trouble. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about the other two warnings that he gives about avoiding useless arguments. But let's continue. Verse 15, be diligent to present yourselves, prove to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And And it says, be zealous, be persistent in accomplishing a goal. Be zealous, be consistent Give maximum effort to impart God's word completely, accurately, and clearly to the hearer. This is a means of countering the effects of false teaching. How do I know a lie? You know a lie by comparing it to the truth. God's word is true, and so you'll know a lie if it doesn't line up with God's word. That's the only way you're going to know. Rightly dividing uh, equates to cutting it straight. This is reference to the exactness demanded by such trades as carpentry, masonry, leatherworking, and tent making, which both Paul and Timothy understood. Cutting it straight, rightly dividing the word. So now that you're handling God's word, precision and accuracy are required in interpretation because the interpreter is teaching and preaching God's word. Anything less is shameful. If you are not rightly dividing the word, that you're doing a disservice to the hearer or hearers. You're doing a disservice to yourself. And you're doing a disservice to God. And that's shameful. If you don't know the word, then you need to dig deeper. You need to dig in. You need to know this word must be rightly divided. It must be cut straight. The word of God, the word of truth is in all of Scripture is general, and the gospel message in particular. The word of truth must be taught. There are no shortcuts. There is no a room for me to interpretate, interpret, <laughs> interpret, interpret <laughs> what exactly what the Lord means, because He gives me an opportunity if if I got the right heart to go in and dig, find out what this means. Don't take it at surface value. Don't take the scripture and manipulate it to, to, so that it fits in with the, the way you live, the way you think, or your past religious experiences, or the religious system that you came out of. Well, this is what we've always believed as whatever, as this, this, this religious organization. But what does the word of God say? Did you dig? Were you Berean-like in your search? Be like Bereans. Go in and dig in. And take the time to go in and open up your mind before you open up your mouth. Open up your heart before you open up your mouth. So important, folks. Uh, verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Those who continue after the process, this is those who continue to, to uh, sin after the process is carried out. Timothy was to guard the truth. And that's the divine revelation that God committed to his care. Every Christian has that sacred trust to guard the revelation of God. Every Christian. There's no exception to that. You, if you're going to teach God's word, if you're going to proclaim God's word, you better know God's word. False doctrine is anything claiming to be the truth that is, in fact, a lie. False teachers typically claim to have superior knowledge. We know some smart folks, but that doesn't mean that that intelligence equates to the Word of God. And those are the ones of us who are usually more dangerous, especially those of us who are of science, because we want to take things and and throw the science in there and and justify why this is, well, this is what the Bible says, but I think it means that. You just went wrong. He just stepped off the curb into traffic. This is what it says, but I think this is what it means. Shameful. Every Christian has that sacred trust to God, the revelation of God. False doctrine, anything claiming to be the truth, that is in fact a lie. And this, and this is Paul's second warning. Sean profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And I found this to be true. The more you get into these, these, this profane and idle babbling, it affects your heart. It really does. And you may not realize it at the time, but it affects it because there are um, just some of us who who try and, and give the impression that we're these scholars, and it gets us in trouble. 17, verse 17, and their messes were spread like cancer. Haminius and uh, Philetus are of this sort. And your, word, your Bible probably doesn't say cancer. A lot of them say gangrene. I don't know what version you have, but uh, anyway, uh, the, the symbology is still the same. And Paul used this word in the New King James. Uh, he used the word Cancer. The word refers to a disease which spreads rapidly in a deadly manner. It attacks and consumes a person's life. Philetus was Alexander's replacement as Hypenitus's accomplish, and these are the two men uh, that that Paul had put these out of the church because of their false teachings, and then he brought in this man Alexander to to replace them uh, because of their teaching, and they they were teaching a false gospel simply because it allowed the people to to be more general in their thoughts. It allowed them to to lean more towards the law than grace. And these were people who just said, this religion thing is just too hard. It's too hard to keep all these commandments. It's so hard to do this. And so they would rather have it where even, even the, the, what I mentioned earlier about the fact that resurrection was not part of 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 what they taught jesus died for you for me and now he wants us to live for him but they never taught resurrection these two men specifically and we know from our learning and we know from the word of god resurrection is central to our belief system resurrection is central to our faith in god if he didn't die, if he didn't come back, if he wasn't resurrected, then a lot, a lot of what we do is just going through the motions. Verse 18, Who has strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some? Haminius and Philetus, uh, devised uh, the reality of a believer's bodily resurrection. Believer's bodily resurrection. They taught that the believer's spiritual identification with Christ's resurrection was the only resurrection, resurrection they would experience, and that had already happened. Where did that come from? If, if these men were truly teaching the word of God, there is just no way they could, they could eliminate that. They chose to. Because they were trying to draw the people to them. And I'm going to create a path of least resistance. I'm going to create a path. At least some of the believers thought so. I'm going to create a path where it's really not that hard for you to accept what the Lord is doing in your life. You don't have to do that. You don't really have to go through these motions. Just, just believe what I tell you and that's it. And... Unfortunately for these men, they were leading people to them and more people were falling away from the true teaching of the church, the true teaching of what Paul had taught and what Timothy was continuing to teach. They were falling away from that. And Timothy was affected by that because he saw these these men doing this. But Timothy at that point was a respecter of person, which we can ill afford to be. And he thought, well, these men, you know, they're... They're seasoned veterans, uh, you know, elders, so they must know what they're talking about. And even though he saw this, Timothy didn't know what to do about it. So that's why Paul continued to encourage him, Timothy, these these things must be. You can't respect them for their their tenure. You can't respect them for their knowledge. You can't respect them for anything. You've got to put him out. And Timothy did. This wasn't easy for Timothy. He was a young person and very he was learning. I'll leave it at that. He was learning, so there were some things that he struggled with. Again, nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we have to take those measures. We see things that are happening in the church, in the body, and sometimes we have to take drastic measures. And we have to make sure know that we know that we're following what the Lord has called us to do. And even then, we still question. Because, that, like it or not, that human part is still there. And our heart says, I really hate to put the brother out because he's such a, a, a faithful member. And we really need him because he helps us do all this, take, take care of the physical body of the church. So I really hate to do this. In the meantime, the Lord is saying, for the good of the gospel, we got a clean house. Challenging. 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, and that, have, this seal is, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And this this solid foundation of God refers to the church, which cannot be overcome by the forces of hell. The gates of hell should not prevail. This church is made up of those who belong to the Lord. That's what a church is. Church is not this physical building. A church is the hearts that are combined to honor our Lord and Savior. That's what the church is. And this seal that he speaks of is a symbol of ownership and authenticity. We know who he is, and we know whose we are. It's so important to to just allow that to be imputed and ingrained in our very being. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And Paul gives two characteristics of this with the divine seal of authenticity. Authenticity. I'm not going to go into them, but I'll just give you the reference scripture. They are Numbers 16.5 and number 16.26. Uh, the first one is going to talk about the Lord knows those who are his. And the second one is let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So that's where you'll find the Lord, uh, how he, he gives you uh, the references to that. And he and talks about characteristics. And you can see, uh, you can read about these two characteristics and determine if they are if they are visible in anybody that we know. So Numbers 165 and Numbers 1626. Verse 20 but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. In the Greek this word vessel is a very general is very general and used to describe various tools, utensils and furniture found in the house. In a wealthy home, vessels made of gold and silver were used for uh, honorable purposes, such as serving food to the family and guests. And those vessels made of wood and clay were not used for any honorable use, but rather those were used for disposing of garbage <laughs> and the filthy waste of the household. And I was thinking about, you know, when when talk about using vessels, I was thinking about two men, and how in, in the word of God, they came from a diverse place to something that was totally different. Uh, Moses started in the mansion and ended up in the desert. So he, he used that vessel in both places. Uh, David started in the desert and ended up in the mansion. So he used them in diverse places. He was able to take that Vessel of honor or vessel of dishonor and then use it in a different way. So that's us. I don't know the background of anybody in this room. But I do know that we can't say, I know he's going to use me because of this. Or he's not going to use me because of that. He'll take that vessel of dishonor and use it as honor. He'll take that vessel of honor and use it as dishonor. And that's how Jesus works. It's not a respect to person, so he's not concerned about how great you are at whatever it is you think you're great at. He can use you in a totally different place, with a totally different mindset of what you think you have to offer. We just need to be open to him. And if we're open to him, our hearts are open to him, our minds are open to him, then he will use us according to his will, and that should be our prayer. Lord, use me. Use me up. And don't be concerned about what type of vessel you're going to be in his kingdom. That shouldn't be concern of yours. He knows what's best. And he's going to mend you. He's going to mow you. He's going to break you, whatever he's got to do to make you into that vessel that he sees fit or appropriate. So it's not our concern. Just give him an opportunity to use you as a vessel. And that was, uh, that's uh, challenging for us because we want to give him our strengths. We do. When I, when I serve the Lord, I'm going to, let's just say I have musical talent, hypothetically. Okay, Richard, I'm going to teach you how to play a piano. Yeah, get real. <laughs> but the point is, we never know. You don't know. You have potential for anything that He wants you to be, anything that He wants you to do, you have that potential. So let's not limit ourselves. Let's be open to the gospel in every way, regardless. And there's some sitting now who don't, who may not even at this point realize what their gifts are. And maybe He's shown it to you, but you're kicking against the gold because you, I don't want to do that. I don't. Moses tried it. I'm not worthy. I stutter. I'm not eloquent. But he used them. And throughout the whole Bible, there were men and women who were just not those honorable vessels. But he used them. Somehow, some way, they ended up in Hebrews 11. What's up with that? Doesn't he realize that David, are you serious? Don't you realize all the things that this guy did? And yet, You know, he's there and and so many others. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. Uh, In order to to be that servant, we, uh, we need to thoroughly clean out or completely purge. And we are called to exercise wisdom and discernment through the spirit to realize that we need to separate from all who claim to serve God, but do so as filthy implements useful only for the most dishonorable duties. And in that, we have to be careful when they say, hey, don't judge me, man. Because essentially, we, it may be perceived as that. We're exercising wisdom and discernment. We're listening to the Lord. and He's saying, uh, I really don't think that this would be a good group for you to hang out with. Or this person, I don't think it'd be a good mix for you because of where I have you right now. They could be a discouragement. Make sure that we're listening to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wisdom and discernment. And we, if we, he says, separate yourself, then that's what we do. Uh, 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pure heart. Pure, that's important that we, we include that word. Uh, and there's a reason why he says, call on the Lord out of a heart. Because when I think of heart, my mind just goes to Jeremiah. But he says, out of a pure heart, clean, righteous. Uh, This youthful lust does not merely refer to illicit sexual desire, but also such lust as pride, desire for wealth and power, jealousy, self-assertiveness, and an argumentative spirit. When we hear flee youthful lust, our mind usually goes to illicit sexual desire but it's well beyond that and if we look at these closely we might recognize something in there that that does apply to us even if that doesn't pride more than likely we can relate to that desire for wealth and power maybe not so much jealousy perhaps self-assertiveness possibly and an argumentative spirit hmm could happen. Look at yourself and ask yourself, are you fleeing those useful lusts? Are you fleeing whatever it is that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with? Are you fleeing it? And are you following the Lord's plan for how he wants you to escape? He always leaves an escape, a, a way to escape these things. So even if it's a pride issue, there's a way out through, through, through the Holy Spirit. No matter what it is, If it doesn't line up with God's will, God's way, he gives you a way out. But he still allows you to decide whether you're going to take it. Verse 23, but but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. This is Paul's third warning to avoid useless argument with false teachers or deceivers. Heed those warnings, my friends, because they can be dangerous. 24, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. And it does not say, and the servant of the Lord should not quarrel. Must. The word must indicates that it's absolutely mandatory for church leaders. It is not a suggestion. You must not quarrel. You must be able to teach, which means you're skilled in teaching. The preaching and teaching of God's word is the, over, is the overseer, pastor, elder's primary duty. There are others, but those are, that's the primary one. Teaching, teaching, skill in teaching, preaching and teaching the word of God, that should be a top priority. And everything else falls in line behind that, because if we're preaching and teaching the word of God and we're digging in, learning the true nature of God's heart, then those other things, the fruit of the spirit is just going to fall in. Not just fall in, but because we're following him, because we know his heart, because we have a desire to be like him. The fruit of the spirit is just going to be just going to fill us from that point on. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. We're still going to have spots. We're still going to have wrinkles. We're going to have blotches. We're still going to have those things, but it doesn't mean that we fail. So just continue to, to seek his face in everything. 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they will know the truth. Those in opposition are primarily unbelievers but also could include believers deceived by the foolish and ignorant speculations of the false teachers and possibly the false teachers themselves. Primarily unbelievers, but could also include believers who are deceived. And as far as deception, even the elect if possible. So no one is totally protected from being deceived. Started in the garden and it continues today. No one. All true repentance is produced by God's sovereign grace, and without such grace, human effort to change is futile. You can't do it. It's God's grace and God's grace alone, His sovereign grace, and no human. Effort can change that. None. No matter how godly you are. No matter how close to the rock you're you're last in. No matter what you do, uh, that you consider earning your salvation. Not happening. When God by grace grants saving faith, it includes the granting of repentance from sin. Neither is a human work. Faith includes the granting of repentance from sin, and it grants by grace. It grants saving faith. No human can pull that off. You're, you've got a flesh nature. You're limited, and God like God. It has to be that way. It has to be that way. If we could just work it out then there are some who just, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. And when you think about the things that, the reason that we gave our lives to the Lord is because there were some things in our life lives that we could not control. Lord, I've been trying to kick this habit, whatever it may be. They're, they're numerous. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Through prayer and supplication, the Holy Spirit knew that you were sincere. He read your heart. He knew that you were sincere, so he took away that thing. And now you don't think about it anymore. And I mentioned the last time, it could be, there's so many things that fall under that umbrella. It could be a bad relationship. It could be a habit. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. And some of you have probably come from those arenas, but it doesn't really matter what it is. We've all had them because when we came to Christ, we came to Christ from something that was less than Christ. That's why we chose who we want to follow. And there's a reason. And now, if he can do that in my life, in your life, is there anything too hard for God? I don't know of anything, not yet, but he's teaching me every day. 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Deception is Satan's snare. Again, the Lord protects us by keeping Satan on a leash, knowing that he can't do any more than we allow. He can't do any more than God allows. So, so don't, don't give him... Um, credit for saying well the enemy caused me to do this the enemy will do all that we allow and more My, I, his idea is to, to deceive you because he's a schemer he's clever and he's a purveyor of lies so all those things can have an impact a negative impact on each and every one of us so we can't allow this to happen we can't allow ourselves to be drawn into the things of the world and again the more that we allow the more that's going to be put on us oh they're conforming okay let's see if we could inject more into that we want to, we want to control them we want to manipulate them and that's what the world will do to us it will draw us in it will keep drawing us in and the sad thing about it the world doesn't have to change its methods. It drew you in 5, 10, 15 years ago, and it can draw you in today. Well, not me, brother. I found the Lord and I'm strong. I'm, I'm locked in, I'm, I'm chained to that rock. Okay. The problem with deception is you don't know you're being deceived. That's a problem. Again, no one's immune. Trust God. Trust that he knows what's best for you. Trust that he has a plan for you that can't fail, that won't fail. He can't lie. He's not able to lie. And he's begun a good work. And he will be faithful to complete it. You can count on it. Uh, everybody in this room has proof of that. Think about how God is blessing you. And you don't have to praise him for what happened And you know, 2000 praise him for what happened today he's working in your life right now he's doing great things in your life just the fact that you're sitting here just the fact that you're, you're tuned in up there folks the fact that you're there you're listening you're interested in what God has to say through whatever vessel he uses he's, a, he's got a plan a masterful plan and why do I serve him I serve him for two reasons. First reason, I don't know any better. And the second reason is, I don't know any better. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that you set aside just for us. And I just pray, Father, that your word was rightly divided. If I had said anything that caused uh, my sister or my brother uh, tonight to, to be discouraged, I pray that you would erase it from our minds even now. So we just give praise and honor to you as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know, Father, that you just continue to love us in spite of ourselves. So we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for what you're going to do. May you receive the the glory in everything that we do and everything that we say throughout this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.